0: Welcome to the Sogro Marketing Council podcast. The Sogro Marketing Council is a membership organization comprised of growing marketers who want to stay ahead of developments in multiple areas of marketing. This podcast features recordings of Sogro Marketing Council meetings. Tune in to hear expert marketers share tips and discuss the latest strategies and tools in marketing. To join the next meeting and be part of the discussion yourself, Visit SoGrowPR.com, that's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com, and click on the Marketing Council tab. Let's get growing. All right. good morning, everyone. Welcome to the SoGrow Marketing Council. I'm so excited to see you guys today. I look forward to this every single month.
1: So for those of
0: you who are new, the SoGrow Marketing Council is a membership organization of executive level marketers. And we like to get together and share tips. And the idea is that we all have our area of expertise within marketing, whether that's sales or branding or public relations. And it is really great to get together with other marketers so that we can figure out what is going on in the different disciplines within marketing. And that helps us to be better marketers and know more for our clients and also helps us just to keep up to speed. It's really hard to research all of these areas by ourselves. So we let all of these smart people around us share their expertise, and then we don't have to do all that work, trying to find out what's going on in all these different areas. And then we also like to just help each other and share business. So if somebody needs a vendor, we can make recommendations. Or if somebody has a client that needs help, a lot of times this is a great place to pull resources from and, and make connections like that. So we just love to help each other as well. So today's meeting, we will have some people present tips today, and people submit tips on the Sober Marketing Council website, and there's a form on there, and so you submit your tip, and we have four minutes to present a tip, and then we'll leave one minute for questions, and just please keep in mind these tips are educational and informational, so we're not trying to do a commercial for your company. We're all going to find out how brilliant and smart and how wonderful your company is just by you sharing your expertise. So, you know, please just have educational, informational tips, and then, like I said, leave one minute for questions afterwards, so that way we can, um, you know, if you want to make a question or comment. And Sarah will be our timer today, so you'll hear her timer go off when you get to four minutes, and please include your name and your company, so that way we know who you are and what industry of marketing you're in, um, especially for the people listening to the podcast, so that way they will know who you are. And then we have our featured experts share first. So featured experts are the people that we have handpicked to share tips and to post on the forum and just to be an expert in a certain area. So we'd like to welcome Scott Siegel today, Sales Acceleration. He is our sales featured expert. And then we also have Kristen Sellier, who's our feature expert in branding and graphic design. And then Kimberly Petty is our crisis communications featured expert. And then Sarah is our social media featured expert. And then I hold the public relations seat. Um, so I have put the order in the chat. So that way you guys can know who's going to go first. so You can anticipate when it'll be your turn. Does everybody see that in there? You don't see it in the chat? Okay. Well, let me just put it in one more time, just in case it didn't go all right type it in there okay you guys see that okay great wonderful so um, and we may have a couple people join us in a minute I know we had some people sign up so they may just be running late so we've got that and then um, our next meeting is August 17th so after this meeting go ahead and sign up for the next one and reserve your spot submit your tip if you'd like and then what we also like to do is just take a screenshot so we remember everybody that was here and then we use the screenshots just to promote, but we don't want to just take a screenshot and catch you guys by surprise. We want everyone to smile and look beautiful. So you guys all love having this online. Um, so if you guys don't mind for just a second. We're going to just do a quick screenshot. So everybody smile. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I'm going to do one more just because sometimes we have somebody close your eyes. So ready? One, two, three. Wonderful. Alright, so Kristen, would you like to start us off today?
2: Of course. i will happy to. I'm going to share my screen, um, if you don't mind. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to dissect a retail package. I thought, you know, I love dissecting, dissecting sentences in uh, middle school. So um, what's better than dissecting retail packaging design? All right. So see, so I'm pulling up a piece, a retail package. Um, Can you guys all see a picture of um, ProPix? All right, great. Good morning. My name is Kristen Sellier. I am the president and founder of ID8 and we are a specialized branding agency. And today I'm going to share some information on retail packaging Retail packaging is a very niche part of graphic design, and typically most graphic designers don't understand the ins and outs of retail packaging, and I find it really helpful for marketers in general to understand how packaging design works. So there's three aspects to packaging design. Number one is the law of attraction. Successful retail packaging must draw the customer into the package, And there's specific ways to do that. One way is by doing a shelf audit. And this is done by looking at the product going to the shelf where the product is going to be sold and taking a picture really of all the competition. And in doing so the designer or marketer will see what all the other competitors are doing and then more easily be able to figure out a way to use colors and style and layout to stand out from the competition. So think about the hot sauce section, everything looks red, right? So if you design a hot sauce that isn't red, it's going to stand out visually to the customer and catch the customer's eye as they go by. Uh, Number two is readability. Uh, I was driving down the interstate yesterday and I saw a billboard and it was beautiful, but you couldn't read it. And I thought it was an ad for St. Petersburg. And I thought, oh my gosh, they are designing this too small. So packaging design has to be read from someone standing in the aisle and they could be five to six feet away. So type size is very important that it's readable. If people can't read it, they're less likely to purchase it, less likely to understand it or pick it up. So the types need to be readable. There is a part of our population who is unable to read cursive or script writing. So typically, script is not is not a successful typeface used in um, in packaging design because some people can't read it, and that makes customers feel uncomfortable. Uh, the third is um, the I'm going to call it the billboard. So this is the front face of the packaging design. The packaging design. Typically, it will have a front and a back. And if it's round or square, it also has sides. The retail billboard, the front billboard, is where the real estate that the designer must use so that people can understand, number one, what the product is and what the benefits are. And they can read it within seconds. Um, What will happen, a common mistake is that if someone's designing on a can or something round or a box, they'll actually extend their graphics around the edge so that part of the graphics aren't readable from the front, or they will have the side graphics actually impede upon the front design. So you see ingredients or information on the side, like detailed information that takes away from the front. So making sure that the package is readable um, from that front billboard is really important. And then I'll tell you, uh, Sarah, how much time do I have left? A few seconds. All right, so a violator is the word like new. If you see it on the bottom left corner or the word on the green package that says bonus 20% more, those are violators. Those are common um, graphic elements to use to help position the product or brand and their benefits to the customer so they're easily read. A product that says new or new and improved is purchased over products that don't have that. So that's why when you see a toothpaste or you buy a regular like shampoo that you're buying on a regular basis, a lot of times you'll see new and improved because people will buy that over the product that doesn't say that.
3: So for some reason, I couldn't hear anybody, is that it? (laughs) Yep, yep, you're
0: good. All right. (laughs) Oh, you're muted. Are there any guidelines in terms of when you can say new and improved or is it just a free for all?
2: I mean, I mean, there's truth in advertising, so it should be new and improved if you're using that. So a lot of times uh, customers are putting a new fragrance on something or a new flavor or they've changed um, the mixture. So it's different. They're taking out bad things um, and they're putting in good things like parabens and are not good for people. And so you'll see a lot of the new shampoos and conditioners removing that item and then noting that as new and improved because they've changed the formula. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. That's great. Does anybody have any questions or comments
1: for Kristen? Katie? Kristen, one of those packages said bonus 20% more. Is that, Does that have the same effect as the new? Will people pick that up more often?
2: Um, it doesn't have the same impact as new, but it does help increase purchase. So it's not uh, you're not going to get as many people to pick it up and buy it, but it's really telling them because people aren't reading how many are in it. But if you write that, then they're going to look at how many um, items are in it and compare it. And if it's a, you know, pr- a pur- person that's purchasing on price, they may pick up that package instead.
4: Uh, Kristen, do you uh, get the opportunity to test your packaging uh, out there on the shelves?
2: We do um, for, we do focus groups. And so if we're doing focus groups, then we're testing and we're testing based on um, kind of the middle of the road. You want the most of the people to, um Want to buy it or not be turned off by it. So you're going to take out the packages that are actually really, really liked or really, really hated and then select one of the designs that's in the middle that people aren't opposed to buying. The other piece of it is um, a lot of the retailers do the testing for you. So like for Walmart, you have to provide a hundred packages and they actually have people come in the store and shop and buy and test the product for you and then pick out the one they're going to buy. So
4: a hundred packages. Yes. That's insane.
2: Oh yeah, Walmart owns retailer owns these brands. It's really hard for them to make money in environments like that.
0: Like a hundred different designs.
2: Oh, it depends. Like um, for one of the clients, they had to send. They had a new brand coming out, and so we had to supply a hundred products for them. But they couldn't have them produced. So they all had to be mocked up.
5: Wow. Well. And then, Chris, do you work with brands that try to sell into the club stores? Because the, the package yeah. really is the corrugate. Um,
2: All the time. Most of our clients, that's part of their mix. They're in the club stores and they're also in the retail. Yeah.
5: That's why I always buy those M&Ms at Costco. It's a big yellow pallet.
2: Yeah.
5: Right in. Yeah. You know that Costco doesn't make
2: their money on their sales. They make their money on the membership.
5: So you they do.
1: literally
2: are flat on the sales. Anyway.
0: Awesome.
1: Food. Selling the hot dogs. <laughs>
5: yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're never going to change the price either.
1: Yeah.
5: For anyone who has kids $1.50 for a hot dog and a 20-ounce drink, it's the best bargain available.
2: Yeah.
5: Not Kristen, that I would
0: That's great.
1: <laughs> Kristen, one more quick question. I know that colors have different effects on people. Are there colors that are more... Um, beneficial to use in package design?
2: It's interesting that, you know, it used to be that, you know, red, orange, and yellow were the food, the colors to use for food, but it's really changed over the last 20 years. And, you still have the emotional impact. So you want your colors really to go back to the basics of color, you know, yellow is friendly. So if your product's friendly, you know, if it's a friendly type of product, you would probably use yellow. If it's clean and pure, you're gonna use the colors blues. So you go back to just the basics of, you know, what a color emotionally connects with, and then build, you know, use the colors for that. But I have seen almost like a complete 180, like using the exact opposite colors, Um, so.
0: So interesting. That's great. Well,
6: that's a great tip, Kristen. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And Kimberly, did you want to present a tip today? Sure. Um, I'm Kimberly Petty. I'm a senior communications strategist for Cindy Miller Communications. And so we do public relations um, and including crisis communications. But today I wanted to talk to you guys about um, pitching to media and some tips. We've been doing a lot of that lately. So, I know we we all probably have done some of that, but I think a a little refresher is always nice. So um, I'm gonna talk about proactive earned media. So where you wanna generate targeted media coverage to help your client achieve their business objectives instead of um, paid media. So of course, you wanna first understand the business objectives and determine if this will be an exclusive media pitch or if you should be sending it to multiple outlets at once. And sometimes we do a combination of both. So for an event, we might get an exclusive pitch for one outlet to start and then send it out across to many outlets. you always want to research your company first and make sure you're aware of all your company's strengths and any potential vulnerabilities. Um, with the story and identifying spokespeople, um, you know, may not always be the CEO who will be the right person, but finding that right person who can talk to the media. Um, and understanding the audience you want to reach. So, who, who you're looking to reach and which business goals you wanna meet. So then you know which media to reach out to. Um, and of course, as sure you all know setting that expectation with your clients um, because you can do everything right and your story may still not get picked up with earned media. So um, helping your client to understand that is um, pivotal. Um, so we always help create our messaging platform. We wanna look at the key messages and talking points to. Um, share with our client before we pitch to to media. And we gather all of our bios, company summary, photos, any existing um, press releases that would be helpful before we uh, go off and pitch. Um, Once we determine who we are going to reach out to, then of course we research which reporters are covering those subject matters and who would most likely be able to cover that story. Um, When we write our pitch, what we like to do is we'll generally like write a summary at the top of our email and then follow below with like really more detailed information. That's helpful. Also, maybe with some attachments to really help pique the interest of that reporter. Um, And then we'll follow up with another email. I sometimes like to call because if we have a relationship with that reporter, um, it's helpful to also reach out because they're really busy and they may not notice your email or sometimes you get stuck in junk mail, um, etc. So, um, and then I'm always courteous to reporters so that even if I've sent a pitch and they haven't responded, I make sure that I will do a courtesy email to say, we're going to move on to another reporter just in case, because many times it does happen that they're like, oh, wait, I didn't get to this yet. And I do want to cover this. Or um, you know, I just want to keep that relationship transparent and make sure that they know what we're doing. Um, And once the pitch is accepted, we'll help coordinate interviews and uh, follow up to ensure that the reporter has everything that they need. Um, And then I think, lastly, something that sometimes is missed is once the story is published, you can always follow up to make sure that there are any corrections that need to be made can be made. Um, sometimes they'll publish digitally first before it gets put into print. And there have been times when we'll be able to catch a correction that can be made um, before it gets put into print. And then it's, um, you know, also lives out on the internet forever, so get those corrections made. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Perfect timing.
4: <laughs> Kimberly, question. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, the, um, you mentioned, if I understood you correctly, that you will tell a, a reporter, your time is up, buddy, you missed the opportunity, I'm, I'm sending it somewhere else. Is that, did I understand you correctly?
6: Yes, yes absolutely. Sometimes, um, because if we, have, we want to move it on to pitch to somebody else, and sometimes they just don't get back to us right away, and they might be considering it. So I want to make sure that and sometimes you might send it to a reporter within the same organization. So they might be covering similar things so you don't want to send it to one person and then not have them be aware that you want to move on to somebody else
4: do they do they respond to that do they ever say oh wait wait'll I'll, I'll do it uh, you know I was behind uh, It's a really good story does that does that wind up being a an opportunity to you know, get them to pay attention and say, I'm going to, you know, give it it over to folks.
6: It definitely has happened in the past where they just haven't gotten around to it yet, or it's been bumped down in their email and they see my reply and it gets pushed probably to the top of their inbox. And they're like, Oh wait, I was going to, or maybe they have, you know, uh, breaking news this week and they want to push it off to the next week and they haven't responded yet. So Um, I always find it's always courteous too and if they
3: totally ignore me it doesn't hurt me to to just send them that. Um, Having worked on the other side of that I mean they could be holding it for something that is published just weekly I mean they have an editorial calendar so they're following topics and things like that so it's not always you know oh this is important to their editors at that time so just giving them more information is always
5: helpful. Yeah, Kimber, I like that approach. What we call that is a breakup email. So what you're doing is in a very nice way, you're being very professional and you're telling them you're moving on and what you find because of the way you handle yourself, they will come back. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's what we call a breakup email. I
1: like that breakup email. <laughs> I mean, I, I was a journalist for a long time too. And sometimes they're just really busy and have a lot on their mm-hmm. plate. It's not that they're not interested or don't right. want to respond, on. Right. Kimberly, does that mean follow up question that you advocate only pitching one journalist at a time? Would you ever, would there ever be a situation where you send it initially to multiple people?
6: Um, I have not done that um, at once. I mean, I might do it pretty quickly in consecutive emails, but um. We have not had that where we've gone to many people at once because of that issue is obviously you don't want to pitch it to the AJC and the Business Chronicle and they're both gonna cover it at the same time. They're not gonna like that. So I don't want to uh, ruin that relationship. Um, So we we try to do it one at a time. However, if it's like an event where you're signing a press release, of course, then we do it in mass, but that's pretty widely known.
1: It's a, isn't it a good idea when you're sending it the first time to individuals to say, I'm giving you first refusal on this? Like, yeah. journalists like that, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and Kimberly, I was going to ask you too, because um, I see the landscape changing a lot, where it used to be a lot of publications would publish articles from business experts as just a one-off column, and so many publications are changing to the platform where you, as the potential writer are actually paying now to write monthly columns, <laughs> like you are paying money to do it. You're not getting paid to do it. You are actually paying money to do that. So like Forbes and Entrepreneur, those publications have those, those platforms that they do that now. And so um, how do you see that changing earned media in the future?
6: Yeah, we have worked with um, other companies who are paying like we'll write case studies for business um, industry specific. Um, where where we do pay um, to put those columns in, but we are still writing and pitching to even industry um, magazines a lot of that is the digital version so are you what are you seeing in print? I know you do the industry pitching more. are you seeing yeah.
0: that? Well, I just see a lot of publications moving to we don't want one off articles we want you to be you know a regular contributor or they have a program like entrepreneur used to get stuff in entrepreneur all the time and now they're moving to a program where you basically have to sign up to pay <laughs> to contribute and like Forbes has been like that too where you know it's, it's basically these contributors that are business professionals they're not journalists they're business professionals and and they're paying to be on a council or they're paying to do these things and so in terms of the opportunities for earned media in those publications unless you're paying they're not as open to accepting one off articles from other professionals, um, so I'm just curious in terms of you know how you guys see that changing because the landscape is just shifting in that in that way, so I was just curious if you guys you know had any perspective on what that might look like in the future.
6: yeah, it's definitely I mean it's definitely hard to get things published um, on a recent project we were working on. I mean we pitched pitched over and over and over again. We finally did get something published. Um, but it just was, you know, trying to find things, current events to tie the companies to, um, whether that be going back to work after COVID or, um, what have you, those are the, the important pieces of course, to get the a journalist to want to cover your piece. Um, so you just have to be like, you know, really on point of what is, in, what is being covered, what is interesting to their audience and try to get it in, in that direction, try to really focus on how that audience is going to like, you know, be interested in this article and really having your clients understand, like, you know, that maybe you might have to pay for a, an article. Um, we, we do earn media mostly, but.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, trying to figure out a strategy for getting the people who are paying to be a contributor, what's in it for them? Like, how, when you're -hmm. presenting content to them, trying to figure out a way for it to be valuable for them specifically, because they're kind of, you know, about promoting their own thing, usually, so Mm -hmm. if you figure out a way to do that, you know, it's, it's sometimes helpful, but yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, because I think we're in a new season where things are changing in earned media, for sure, and with influencers, and then all the paid things, it's, it's shifting. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, that's so great. Thank you so much for that. Everybody can benefit from just sending emails to, to the media. Um, All right. So Scott, would you like to share a tip today?
5: I will. Yep. I'm going to share my screen. Okay. Okay. Can everyone see my screen? So my name is Scott Siegel. My company is speaking sales advisors. So my tip this morning, is about the importance of sales rep training and the impact it has on marketing. Oh, sorry about that. Okay, I'm gonna keep it here. So. To build an effective sales training, you need a well thought out plan. And a well thought out plan will have a significant impact in the organization and especially marketing. So believe it or not today, only 47% of companies put their sales reps through training. So that means 53% of organizations don't train their sales rep. And the 47% that do They send them for one week. And typically what happens is they'll say, Stephanie, you need to go to communications training. Well, that typically doesn't work. So what will happen is Stephanie will come back. She'll forget everything she learned. And the business owner or sales manager will say, I don't see any results. I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of money but I don't see any results. So what really should happen? As I mentioned, you should have a fully, uh, the full year plan set for that person. It should be customized to that person or to small groups. There should be expectations set prior to going to the meeting on what they're gonna learn. And there should be expectations set coming out on how what they learned, that they're going to use. And there should be follow-up meetings. If you do that, it'll have an impact on the organization and it will have an impact on marketing. So let's talk about marketing. So believe it or not, yes, sales and marketing can get along. So let's look at sales rep number one. Sales rep number one was one of the 53% of the sales reps that did not go to training. So the primary role, as Kristen talked about, for marketing is to build a brand. Well, this is the sales rep coming back trying to explain to the marketing person what happened on that sales call. Well, it didn't go well. Because the salesperson, anytime they're in front of the customer, they're the voice and face of the organization. And if they can't clearly communicate what the brand message is, that call's not gonna work. If you go to sales rep number two, sales rep number two has been trained. And as you can see, all the pieces of the puzzle come together, the whole organization works. Sales and marketing can get along. And as a result, what happens is you're able to scale your business. So that is my best tip on the importance of sales rep training and the impact to marketing.
0: Scott, what would you think about sending the marketing people to sales training and the sales people to marketing training?
5: <laughs> I've done, that's a great idea. I've actually done that. So sometimes for the marketing people, we'll bring them in the sales training because they, they both need to understand what the other function goes through and how they can really work together. You need to literally rip down those functional silo walls. Yeah. Done
0: it? yeah, it's the same, you know, it's, they're not separate. <laughs> it's, no, they're, they're not. they the other, and they lead back to each other, and, you know, they, they are a unit. And if you don't understand one side of your unit, then, you know, you're only working at 50%. So, right. yeah, absolutely. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions for Scott?
3: I was just... Um... I came across a study the other day, Scott, and I was gonna send it to you. So I will make a note to do that, but it was about um, B2B marketing and social media. And it was about, especially in B2B, the connection between, it's. this is social media B2B, but it was the connection between um, sales and marketing. And it was talking about for social media, it was found to be most effective with B2B at the top of the funnel is like an education But how important it was that it was pointing to that handoff with the lead gen and and things like that, connecting to a person so that it went from the education to a phone number or an email so there could be a face-to-face connection with the salesperson. Um, And it was interesting because with a lot of my social media things that I read a lot of the times, there's not that direct handoff where how important that
5: is. There isn't. So what happens is instead of having great communication, you have miscommunication. Right. And then everything literally, unfortunately, falls apart.
3: Yep.
4: I, I was I was in a situation a couple of years ago at a big insurance company, and the the um, the sales folks and the marketing folks didn't talk to each other. They sort of like hated each other. And I've we,
5: never seen that. Never seen.
4: <laughs> it. was the strangest damn thing. And getting these people in the room was like, 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 like dealing with a bunch of kids you know, who, who had been fighting. And they're going like, well, you have to be nice to your sister. OK, be nice to your brother. You know, and, and, <laughs> and, and ultimately, we did a lot of good stuff. But it was sort of like I was surprised at just how, how separate their tracks are.
5: They shouldn't be. No, they shouldn't. That's right. Should not be there, right? Uh,
1: Scott, I find at my company, and, and maybe others, there's sort of a healthy conflict between sales and marketing. You know, they, they have a lot of pushback with each other because sales wants to make sure marketing can fulfill what they're selling and marketing wants to make sure sales isn't overloading them by selling something they can't deliver. How do you, how do you approach that and get them to see the benefits of working together?
5: You know, I think the, the, the first piece is it needs to start with uh, the organizational strategy. What is everyone trying to accomplish? And then, if you break it down to having clear roles and responsibilities. So, if someone understands what their role is in the organization and the impact they have, that'll work. A lot of times, what happens, Katie, is there aren't clear roles and responsibilities. When we talk about clear, they're not documented. Yeah. So, Kimberly talked about her process of, of uh, reaching out to reporters before you go on a sales call, there should be a pre-call meeting. You should understand who is gonna be at the meeting from that specific client or customer. You need to understand what role everybody is gonna play. And it really comes down to communication and it is okay to agree to disagree, but having those clear roles and responsibilities as simple as it seems, it's hard to get there, but it makes a significant difference.
0: Thanks. All right. Thank you, Scott. We appreciate it. We, we need to have sales and marketing <laughs> work together. <laughs> so, all right, Joel, did you want to share your tip and introduce yourself?
4: Yes. Hi guys, Joel Alpert from Market Power. Um, i presenting something unusual for me. I, I don't think I've ever presented this quite this way. And it's really, it's about branding, but it's really about all things marketing. So uh, let me explain. Um, when we think about branding, we're, and we could be thinking about branding for our clients, for our own businesses, for any kind of community project that we might be involved with. That has a, a huge impact on the organizations that we work with. We, we take that branding, we move it into, I, I, know, I know you know this, but I'm just articulating it, We move that into things like websites and collateral and sales sheets and um, logos and taglines that help position and engage our audience. We do all that stuff, Um, but we want, we we can often make a mistake that branding is part of a continuum of things that we do and it shouldn't really be only about branding per se. It really should be uh, about looking at the overall view of the company of, of the customer and see how we can really impact them, uh, not just to do stuff, but really to do stuff that works. So if we're doing that, w- you know, what if we are being smart marketers and we are telling the client what to do, and that's a little off, what if that's a little off? So the, the compass point is not calibrated, we're not quite true north. It really can change the business in a lot of ways, uh, just in terms of how they present themselves, how they sell their products and services, what their products and services really are. So we're all smart and that's, that's our problem. We, we go in knowing. And I wanna suggest that we wanna be a little bit ignorant. Ignorant not as an idiots and nothing stupid, but being ignorant by not knowing. So um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple examples of how this impacted, uh, uh, just two clients real quick. Um, one was a management consulting firm that specialized in lean tactics they are international. They are focused on manufacturing. And they had been in business for many years, uh, international concern. There's consultants all over the world that take this into small to medium uh, company, actually some large companies too, all around the world. So they're great and they focus on consulting and they're very ver- venerable company. They're, they're, they're really very good at what they do. Um, and they also do training. I had spoken to the CEO of this company and um he had said no at one point to hiring me because um he 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 said for weeks he had it down to two and he was very frustrated about knowing like who am I going to hire it was either me or this woman in in Chicago who was also good and uh he wound up picking her because she had the 6 sigma experience I was t- t- talking a little bit about this uh, in the in the in the networking before. So I go, great, you know, uh, I like the guy, and he promised to be in touch, and he did. Just before COVID, he got in touch and said, I hate my brand. I hate my marketing. Let's do lunch. So we met. Uh, th- this is the last meeting that I had before COVID. It was down at Pond City Market, and uh, we had a lovely lunch, and people were masking up, and people were getting weird. You know, I shouldn't say weird because I, I think we got to all be careful but it was just a weird time that was just brewing. And, um, and, we, and, he, and he just showed me all his stuff and he showed me what he didn't like. And, um, and I, I'm listening to him and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what he doesn't like. So not knowing really can rate. So I have this great visual aid, um, just uh, you know, high tech. I wanna have the solution I, and I don't know. There's a discrepancy between these two points. Okay. The thing that we do all the time is we resolve that discrepancy all the time. We're always doing that because we want to be smart. We want to give the client a solution to the problem. So we focus on our goal. We say we know the answer, or we say we can't change things. That's another answer, but anything, any of those answers will resolve that tension of not knowing. Now I, now I know. So I'm smart. Great. That can really be a problem. And incidentally, this comes from uh, uh, the work of Robert Fritz, a guy who I studied with for many years. So I'm, I'm, I'm working with this guy, I'm having lunch with him, I'm listening to him, I have did a couple of follow-up sessions and I noticed something that, take two. I'm working with him and we're developing the brand identity and we're, we're a fair amount along in developing the brand identity of selling this lean tactics management, consult, management uh, and um, manufacturing oriented consulting company. And we're doing pretty good, it's going great. But I noticed something that's very strange. I noticed that every time he talks about his clients, his face gets angry and he's really really kind of annoyed with his clients and why aren't they doing what he said they're doing and what's wrong with these people? Okay, I'm, not, I'm noticing that I'm going, that's kind of weird, it's what he does. And then he constantly is interrupting our calls by saying, Joel, I got I got this woman on the phone, and I coached her, you know, two years ago, and she's coming back to me. I got to talk to her. Can I call you back, please? Damn. So I noticed that 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 he loved the coaching part and would stop anything and 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 give the shirt off his back to anybody just to do the coaching, but hated the consulting. So I I <laughs> I, I, I just noticed that, and I, and I and I at first I wrote it off by saying, um. You got to do stuff in life that's not fun and uh you know And if you don't like the coaching that's life but that's what you do and then i said wait a second does that really what you do so we started exploring that and um and in checking that out with him i said to him at one point do you want to consider doing something very different and i'm not going to do it in this call i want you to like come into a new call fresh call really thinking about your business differently and i presented a case about why he could do the training part of his business as a lead to the consulting. Because if he trained people, people would understand him and then they would implement his stuff, which was his big concern. And he just shut up. He, 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 he was flummoxed. I don't use that word often. So uh, I was glad that he was uh, taking it seriously. And uh, that's what we wound up doing. We wound up using that approach and now the business is focused on training and he also does consulting and he does it with folks who love his stuff because they've already been trained by him and they recognize him as, you know, the guru on, on, on the mountaintop, you know, and uh, he's, he's um, you know, they, they like him, they love him. They've tra- he's trained them, whether they're executives or managers in these um, manufacturing companies. And uh, so that's an example of, of really repositioning a whole business based on, Really, not knowing where it's absolutely going to go and really staying receptive to it. The other one, uh, real quick, is a, a wild oat herbicide uh, called Avenge that I worked on. And, uh, you know, what, I don't really know anything about uh, agricultural chemicals. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn. We have uh, the, 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 the fertile ground that we grow stuff on is concrete and uh it's just you know it's just like another world to me and i'm looking at this freshly so um so the the client came to us and said we're going to phase this product out um i think she said by the end of the year and um we're, this is a last ditch effort to uh, to save our asses okay great so we looked at everything from uh, a fresh viewpoint and um and it they were selling this product as a really good agricultural chemical.
3: Keep going. I'm just saying.
4: Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, um, so instead of positioning this as an agricultural chemical, we really looked at how do they work with it? And they work with it because the best thing about this product was not what they were saying it's that it mixes with other chemicals. Now think about this for a second, guys, you're a grower, you're plowing your fields why is mixing with chemicals, other chemicals a good idea? It's funny you should, you should ask that question. I have the answer to that. Um, it's because um, they, have, they can make less passes on the field, less time, less money. Uh, it costs money to run a tractor and these big machines. So the bottom line is that uh, we position this as a product that mixes with other products. Uh, the, the tagline was the low cost solution. And we, we did a whole different kind of marketing that had ever been done before, highly targeted stuff and revolutionized that product. We got a 28% gain in market share that year from repositioning that product. That's crazy. I, I've never had that kind of result it and was, it was sort of like beginner's luck. Um, but it was based on looking at it freshly and and, you know, and, and not knowing.
0: That is great, Joel. I love it. I've preached that to you where I think marketers need a seat at the executive level, you know, changing the business. Like, it's because we can't go out and just promote something if it's not great. (laughs) I've had to have those awkward conversations with CEOs like, you're not doing anything new. We're not going to get any coverage if you're not doing anything new. So, what can we do that's new? And we figure it out (laughs) because you can't, you don't get exposure if you're. Yep. That's great. Who has a question for Joel?
5: Well, for the, the gentleman that was the uh, Six Sigma consultant, how did you approach that differently? And what did you learn by going through that process with him that you would do moving forward?
4: So um, I have a, a strategic process that I use that I learned from a guy named Robert Fritz, and he's brilliant. I think he's the smartest guy on the planet. And uh, of course I'm prejudiced and, uh, and I use his process. But one of the things that we do is it's a very holistic and visually oriented consultant. And I kept going to remember this kind of face, whenever he talked about um, his consulting gigs and I, and his angelic happy ass face when he was talking about his coaching. And I really paid attention to that. And that's where the access point was because I'm going, wait a second, he keeps on doing this. What's up with that? And it really had to do with him not liking the process. And being able to substitute a process that was better, that actually served his business interest. He's actually selling more consulting now, now that he's selling it to the folks he's, he's um, training first. And he's only been doing this for, you know, six months or so, seven months, something like that, maybe you know, a little longer. It was, it was, it was uh, we're 15 months into COVID, something like that. We did much of this uh, at the four or five month mark into COVID.
0: Amazing. That's so great. Thank you, Joel. Such, yeah, such you. good ideas. Appreciate it. Um, Katie, Brian, did you guys want to do a tip today? We've got a couple more minutes. So, I just, if you didn't prepare one, that's totally fine. I just wanted to offer it if you guys wanted to. And if not, if you don't have a tip, you're welcome to just say your name, and your company, and just what industry you're in. We would just love to know, um, you know at least an introduction if you guys want to, but you don't have to.
4: Um, I'm Brian Bebel. I am doing the business development with ID8, um, and Kristen invited me to sit in on this meeting, and it's been a great learning experience.
1: We're so glad to have you, Brian. And Katie? And welcome to ID8. Thank you. A good home base. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, I can tell you about a, a tool that we've been really focused on for our clients that maybe you already know about, but some people don't. We all... um. I do digital marketing and digital marketing hinges on your website, being the the hub of your marketing strategy. Most of us have Google analytics on our website. We know that that tells us about performance, but one of the things we've really been focused on lately is Google console, which is another free Google search console, which is another free tool. And if you don't have that installed on your website, you should Google it today and put it on there because it will tell you how your website is performing in Google. Um, what pages are indexed, what keywords you're ranking for, but more importantly, what um, opportunities you have to make changes to your website that will increase its performance in Google. It actually does an audit for you and it'll show you anything that's not um, optimized for search that needs to be changed. And if you don't have a lot of money or your clients don't have a lot of budget to put into you know, an SEO program or an optimization program, this is a quick and easy way just to make sure that what you've done with your website already is performing the best way it can and driving as much organic search traffic as possible. That's great! So, how about
0: that? Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Does anybody have any thoughts or questions for Katie? Anybody using that right now?
2: I don't know. We're using Google Analytics. Um, so,
1: does it work in tandem with that?
2: It does, but it's a
1: separate set of tools that you need to install. So it's not attached to Google Analytics. It's just part of the Google Suite. Um, But it's still free, and it's still easy to install on your website.
5: Uh,
4: um, Katie, what is it doing that's different uh, from Google Analytics?
1: Analytics talks about the performance of your actual website. So where's the traffic coming from? How long are they staying? What pages are they looking at? Google Search Console talks about how Google views your website. So how is it ranking it against other sites that are optimizing for the same keywords? What's your position, you know, on Google with all those different keywords and what can you change about the factual structure of your website to make sure Google likes it better? Because Google is constantly changing the criteria it uses to rank your website. And um, like right now, speed, website speed is a major factor in how well it will rank in search. And so Google search console will, will give you a reading about your speed on desktop and mobile and say, here are the things you need to do to fix it. Um, they're also looking at security. Security is a big factor in ranking right now. So um, is do you have an HTTPS certificate, right? A security certificate. Um, if you have an e-commerce website, there needs to be a lot of uh, safeguards in place to make that safe for users. And so all of that stuff, Google Search Console will give you sort of a report on and you can fix it. Um, Also, you know, do you have enough pages for them to index? Do you need to create extra pages for content on your website? Or are you blogging regularly so Google sees those as extra pages? Um, It just is really about how you perform in search, not how the website itself performs once people land on it, which is what analytics is telling you.
4: Inside the mind of of Google, huh?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, which is a scary place to be, but necessary.
4: (laughs)
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. And Sarah, did you want to present a tip today?
3: I do. I have a quick but interesting tip. Um, it's something I ran across. I was sort of looking for, you know, new stats or anything like that, but, um, you know, influencer marketing and social media are very linked. Um, and as influencer marketing has grown, which it has grown, here's this interesting stat I came across. Um, so in 2016, influencer marketing was 1.7 billion. In 2021, it was 13.8 billion influencer marketing. The industry is expected or estimated. So, and I could share this article and those stats, but something that happened recently is the NCAA has said that college athletes can now make deals with businesses and brands to share their nil name image likeness you know to make money off of it and profit and i just thought that was so interesting and a lot of people i mean popular opinion from the supreme court all the way to you know sports fans is that college athletes should be able to benefit from all the money i mean like there was another i got another stat about how much colleges make off of sports i mean it's it's massive, Um, but that, you know, colleges should be sharing some of that with the students and the athletes that are, you know, helping them make that money and stuff like that, but at the same time, um, and there, there will be things like different colleges will have different roles for their athletes, but I also have as a parent popping into my head, like, the growing commoditization of people at such a young age and you know mental health issues are most common with ages you know 17 to 24 and these people already have so much pressure from you know um I mean athletes and stuff like that and performance and I mean granted they do have a following and they're already out there and doing this but having to you know make decisions and tie themselves to a brand that could follow them for a long time it's dicey and I mean it's just you know the the people that are influencer marketing are just like, Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Yay. We've got all this way to make money and these college athletes can make money, but um, you know, thinking about all sides of it. So any, anyway, something super interesting to watch, you know, anything with sports marketing is huge. It makes a lot of money. It could be incredibly successful and useful. um, But just something to keep in mind, especially with the Olympics coming up.
0: Really
4: awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Any thoughts, questions for Sarah? Uh, Sarah, um, influencer in marketing is growing. Got it. Question. Does that long term destroy the credibility? I, I know I'm obviously expressing an opinion, but uh, destroy the credibility of how we relate to uh, these recommendations because I know I'm, I'm influenced like anybody else and we all are and we know it's a powerful thing and I understand it. It's great. Right. But when when everybody mistrusts everything that's ever said and we're in, in the age of mistrust, it's like, is that going to deteriorate things long term? I don't follow those trends. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, definitely trust is key to you know any brand success with their customers. I mean, that's what all of it and I mean, influencer marketing is actually based so much on that businesses can have more trust because these influencers have already established that and are continuing on a daily basis as part of their brand, building that trust, maintaining that trust. I, I think trust is such a key. I mean, and everything that's going on politically and socially, it it's a very important asset for people to have and to protect. Um Do you think that one other thing interesting with that though, as influencer marketing is going up and people are spending more on it, print marketing is going down. Literally. I found a graph and it's like, this is, people are spending more money on this and less money on this. Um, So I'll send you guys this like article I found with all these statistics about it, but you know, I definitely think fact checking will always be important. You know, it's, but it's definitely like the whole digital content landscape has created a wild west in terms of the way things are vetted and how quickly they can be good or bad or this or that or, you know.
4: And any tips on how to protect, um, sorry, uh, any, uh, to protect the uh, integrity of those uh, influencers?
3: Right. Um, I mean, I think that they should go in being super careful. You know, I think that all these things need to be approached with, you know, in, in terms of protecting the influencer, that they're careful of the business that, that they attach themselves to. I mean, everyone needs to think about their identity and their privacy and their opinions as their personal brand, which used to be sort of a silly thing for people to say, or it was like, oh, my brand, my brand, you know, celebrities would say that, that was important. But like now for individuals that are, you know, coming into this, influencer landscape and things like that they need to be really careful I mean Kimberly could speak to that it's that whole crisis communication where you're always having that hat on and thinking about liabilities and you know anything that you're attaching yourself to and that I mean for this with high school at, I mean high school athletes will have to be thinking about from an early age anything out there that they've put that could damage them later damage their brand does that help Joel does that answer your question at all
4: yeah. I mean, actually you know, I'm I'm
3: bouncing I, around
4: as soon as you started saying the influencer you're talking about that, I'm realizing what about the process of, of the influencer marketing? So I, 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 right. I think um,
3: there are influencer agencies now. I mean, like it's a whole thing that's grown up around it. So, you know, and a lot of companies say finding influencers is one of the biggest and figuring out how to gauge ROI and things like that is, is still very difficult and being worked out. So.
0: Thanks. A great topic. Yeah,
3: but I'll share that. I, had, I found this one article that had like a ton of good stats and links. So I'll share that actually right now in the chat. So you guys have it.
0: Thank you so much, Sarah. Well, thank yeah. you so much, everyone, for coming today. I always learn from you all. It is so great to just hear what's going on in all these different areas of marketing. So again, go and sign up for the next one, which is August 17th. And please bring a marketing friend. So The more people that we have that attend these, the more expertise we have and the more people we have to network with. So please bring a friend to the next one and then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to all the past meetings. We've had some great content, great conversations. And then we also have this on video on our YouTube channel. So thank you guys so much for coming and contributing tips and we will see you guys next time. Thank you.
5: Bye. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sogro Marketing Council podcast. Want to be part of our next meeting? Visit sogropr.com that's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com, and click on the Marketing Council tab to sign up for our next event. Until next time, keep growing.